With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on, everybody? Elliot Shore Parks here with Matt Lombardo, the No Huddle Show. For the fourth day in a row, we are at Radio Row in the middle of everything. And just like yesterday, Matt, it is a complete zoo. I mean, there must be... 5,000 people around here trying to, you know, look at Radio Row, see what's going on. The mall is absolutely packed. You can really barely walk around here. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, Radio Row is becoming Radio Row here today yeah. because the we saw Russell Wilson roll through here. Tony Gonzalez has been here. Demarcus Lawrence has been here. Michael Irvin was here yesterday. And just Sam Darnold will be here later this afternoon, the future likely number one pick. But it's the crowd outside of Radio Row, the Eagles fans, the Patriots fans, the angry Vikings fans. It is a zoo here at the Mall of America, right across from the amusement park. Absolutely. And so today was our final day to speak to the players. Um, we heard from Doug for the final time. We got a practice report from yesterday. So first few days was kind of, you know, talking about the scene. Today we actually have a lot of football to talk about. I think that reflects in the guests that we have on today. Yep, no, I agree. And uh, it's going to be a great show. We have Eagles linebacker Nigel Bradham. I had a conversation with him. Uh, you spoke with Emmanuel Acho about Chip Kelly and the culture change the transition, that's happened yep. uh, with Doug Peterson. I sat down with Dahani Jones, and, and we'll get into this ourselves before the interviews, but just thinking back on Super Bowl 39 and kind of that extended halftime and how that really impacted the Eagles um, and how the Eagles can avoid it this time around. And Dahani was really candid about that. So you're going to want to listen to that interview. We have a story about that right now on NJ.com slash Eagles. And you got a great update from StubHub. Yeah, about I was going to say, prices. so if, if you're listening to the podcast and you're still thinking about buying a ticket, it's not going to be cheap. But I got some information from StubHub about how much a ticket's cost and really finding out if this is going to be an Eagles crowd or a Patriots crowd. I think right now it's been an Eagles crowd so far. More and more Patriots fans are showing up, but I think they definitely have that attitude of been here, done that, not going to not gonna hurry up and get out to Minnesota, whereas Eagles fans have been here all week. I mean, we're hearing Eagles chants at Radio Row. The uh, 94 WIP is down at the other end. They're leading chants. So definitely is an Eagles-type atmosphere here for now, but I do think by Friday or Saturday that will change. So before we get into it, as we said on yesterday's show, we are up to we got our 500 review. We're now up now up to 513. So people are still writing, which we really appreciate. And there were some really good re reviews. We're yep. each going to read one. Uh, Matt, why don't you go first? Uh, why don't you go first? You have one queued up that you've okay. been wanting to. Okay. All right. To, to so yeah, to. I want to read this one because it's a little little homage to our boy Mark Eckel, um, who was on the pod a few days ago. It says, "Not your father's Mark Eckel column." Uh, this is by Nostalgic for Sim City 2000. Uh, that game was always very overrated. But okay. 
As a lifelong Eagles fan who moved from Central Jersey to Baltimore in 2003, I've never felt more connected to the team thanks to Matt and Elliott's outstanding podcast. They constantly cover everything about the Eagles, from front office to end zone, in a meaningful, engaging way, and I continue to be impressed by the breadth and depth of their exceptional analysis and insight. Wow, did you write this one, Matt? This, uh, uh, yeah, I actually <laughs> typed it last night during my reco party recovery night, but go on, right, it gets right. better and better. All right, so the new generation of Eagles fans is still warming to the Mark Eckel style of hometown football coverage I read in the pages of the Trenton Times as a kid. Guarded optimism, perpetual, du perpetually dubious. Matt and Elliot are Eccles, uh, wow, this word. Progeny. Wow, here we go, I'm not a good, not, not the best reader. And they distinguish themselves by exploring new ideas whether, whenever possible and weaving their community with genuine humor, commentary. I give up on reading right now, I'm too nervous. It, so it that's the review, it's good. Yeah, so you, you've now experienced <laughs> what is so difficult about being a sports talk yeah, radio host. Yeah, there we go, when I, they put, I find out, I When found they put out. a live commercial read in front of your hands yeah, and they say you need to hey, do that's this. Hey, that's why you got the radio voice. Yes, yeah, so I've done this a few times and I'm I better on Twitter reading. Um, this one is Great Team, Better Podcast. It's from R. Lombardo, 29. I don't know anybody uh -oh. in my family that has an R as a first name, so uh, I don't believe that it's from my lineage, but who knows? Uh, he says, great podcast, a must-follow for any Eagles fan. You guys keep it neutral and provide great insight that does not view the world through midnight-colored glasses. Much appreciated. Looking forward to more to come. P.S. Heck, heck of a last name, Matt. Thank you so much for that, <laughs> so and thank you for the review. I'll guarantee you will never have a short parks last name there. Can that's, I read that's one a more? one of a kind. Yeah, go you ahead. Know, you know, I'm, I'm really a sucker for guys that are listening overseas. You are. Um, Huya Navy is the um, reviewer here. He says, I really appreciate your honesty and to, with the team and their performance. You are true fans and actual with actual football knowledge, which I really appreciate. The Navy moved me from Philly to Georgia. It was really great to be able to connect with the birds and take back a little Fly Eagles Fly with me back home. Awesome. So you got to love that. All right, so let's get into the last day and a half of news. Talked to the players yesterday, talked to uh, Doug yesterday, this morning. We got our practice report, and there were really two interesting things from the practice report. First, we'll talk about Timmy Jernigan was out with an illness. And then today, Ronald Darby was sick, and he didn't participate in the media. And I'd be surprised if he practiced. So it seems like a bug is going around. And, you know, people hear illness and sick, and you don't get nervous about it. But Timmy Jernigan missed a big day of practice, and now Darby's going to probably miss a day. I wish I knew that Tim Jernigan was still sick when at media night I talked to him for five minutes and gave him a yeah, high right? five and a bro hug afterwards. That would have been nice to know, right? Right. So, you know, obviously this is something that's been going around the team. Doug Peterson has been sick since last Saturday. Tim Jernigan didn't practice with an illness last Friday, didn't practice again yesterday. Now Ronald Darby's sick. Um, it is flu season, so who knows if that's what's going around. Doug, Doug Peterson was sick uh, last week. Remember yep. when we spoke to yep, him? Yep, last so. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's going to be something to watch, but I think that unless these guys are on their deathbeds, I think it's a safe assumption whether they practice or not, Agreed. they'll be on the field uh, come Sunday night. So the other main takeaway from the practice report, and this wasn't just an observation from the pool reporter, um, during the season we don't get to watch the full practice. During Super Bowl, pool reporter does. So we weren't one of them, but said that the practice was, was bad the second half, and then Doug acknowledged Sloppy. that as yep, well. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think that's, you know, and the, I think part of the reason is because they practiced that Super Bowl halftime. They took, I think it said a half-hour break in between the beginning of practice and the, and the end. So they went and they sat, they stopped practicing, and then it was considerably worse in the second half. And look, I said, I wrote this on NJ.com, I said it yesterday, not wearing pads in practice, which they're not doing, is a mistake. I think they're, they're taking, even if they're taking the foot off the pedal just a little bit, that taking the foot off the pedal has never worked for this team. Um, 
Didn't work at the end of the season. They played poorly. Didn't work when they had that week off in between Atlanta. Uh, the end of the season in Atlanta, they came out slow in that game. So they took well the, that week before Atlanta. They they, they threw did, the pads but, on, but and I'm it saying, was one yeah. against ones. I mean, right. I, I talked to players yesterday and wrote about it. Um, you can read it right now at nj.com/eagles. That that was basically training camp, and that they they put the pads on. They did everything but tackle to the ground. Uh, I talked to John Filippo, the quarterback coach, about it today, and he said that it was unscripted. The offense uh -huh. was calling plays. The defense was calling plays. It was basically real game situations for two days. And John Filippo said that those practices, um, basically those are one of the biggest reasons why they're here this week. Yeah. So I agree that those practices – probably were a really big deal to help Nick Foles get his timing down right, get the intensity level up for this team. Um, I, I don't know that you want to have that kind of intensity before the Super Bowl, but I think that practicing that halftime break for a half hour, uh, you know, you'll hear from Dahani Jones, there are negatives and positives to going through that in practice. I think that could be the bigger stumbling block on Sunday than whether they strapped on the pads on Tuesday. See, but here's why I disagree. I do think the halftime is going to be a big deal, and the fact that they're practicing that is them acknowledging it because it's something they've never dealt with before. I just think it's more about the mentality. I mean, yesterday I talked to Jason Kelsey, <coughs> excuse me, talked to Jason Kelsey at the podium, and he said one of the advantages for the offensive linemen of practicing with the pads on is – they're able to like really get their hands up in a guy and practice the real way that they're going to be blocking on, on Sunday. Yep. So, yeah, you're right. When it, In terms of the timing with receivers and DBs and all that, they're not actually hitting. So it's not like that matters. But the offensive and defensive line are so key to this game. To take your, put, your, your foot off even just a little bit, to me, look, maybe it's because he knows the team, there's a bug going around, he doesn't want to get them overly sick. It could be any number of things. And, well, they probably you know, hit last week. I mean, they were, they were in pads last week for two of the practices right. we saw. And the thing we'll always do on this podcast is we'll, you know, I'm never not going to say I'm not going to question Doug because they're here. Even after they win the Super Bowl, if Doug does something we don't like, we'll say it. But Doug's done a good job this year, and he deserves to a certain degree some benefit of the doubt. And the fact that he thinks they shouldn't be wearing pads, I'm sure he talked to the players about it, is worth is worth noting. So I'm not going to sit here, I, I sit here and say I know more about the situation than Doug does. <laughs> But the proof is in the pudding, and this team has not played well when they've had a, a lighter practice. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's an issue going in. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, again, two schools, two schools of thought. I don't think that you want to have any more of an injury risk in the week before the Super Bowl. They basically put through their game plan last week in Philly. Yeah. This week is about fine-tuning. And does that mean they're going to come out sluggish? Does that mean they're going to come out not sharp? Who knows? We'll see. But I just think that when you get this late into the year, especially when you went and had a training camp for two days in the bye week leading up to the Atlanta game, and you had a full week of practice with two of them in pads last week, I, I think that dialing it back and, and being fresh in the Super Bowl means more than risking guys getting hurt three or four days before the game. So I think we both agree that Ronald Darby is probably going to play on Sunday. Timmy Jernigan, I do think, is going to play. I think of the two, there was a surprise and active. I think he dresses, but, I mean, look, he's been sick for almost a week now. So I do right. think this is an issue. But let's talk about even not having those players at full strength. If you can't depend on Ronald Darby to play, you know, 60 snaps or whatever it's going to be, 60, 65 snaps, what do you do there? I mean, I guess you move to Rasul Douglas. Uh, well, either Rasul Douglas or Sidney Jones, right? It, um, I, I think well, Sidney Jones is probably going to be inactive. All I'm right. assuming Darby's up, which he, I'm sure he will be, even if he's sick. Sidney Jones is probably going to be inactive. So, I mean, I'm guessing you're going to lean on Rasul a little more there in that situation. So you're saying if Ronald Darby's inactive? No, I'm saying if Darby is, in, is active, but he has been sick throughout the week, he missed practice time, I mean, there's a chance if, they're going to have to a, lean on Rasul more. 
maybe. I mean, if he's if he's if he's healthy enough to play in the game, I think they would just play Ronald Darby uh, the same as they always play him. I don't think that. You yeah, even, but I'm saying that might be tough if he's battling the flu. Is the point I'm making. Right, but you shoot some IVs up before the game, you get hydrated, yeah, you're going to be on true. adrenaline. I think that if he's not 100% or if you worry about having to scheme him, scheme your defense differently because of him, then you probably don't play him, right? right. Because then you can get make Rasul Douglas active or you can make Sidney Jones active, two, ki two kids that are at 100%. If, if that's what you're afraid of, again, if he has to fly back to Philadelphia because of the flu or if he loses 15 pounds between now and Sunday because of the flu and he can't play, that's a different conversation. But if he's active, I don't see them game planning or scheming yeah. any different. I mean, if Darby loses 15 pounds, he might cease to exist because that guy is already very skinny. <laughs> so that would be a big worry if that were to happen. Uh, Timmy Jernigan, he's already basically splitting snaps, uh, snaps with Bo Allen. Yep. Um, so I don't think that could change very much. But you might see Bo Allen play more this week than you did uh, – then, you, then Timmy Jernigan. again. I mean, Bo Allen's been playing at a very high level, and now with the sickness, um, you definitely could see that. So any other takeaways you have from these last few days or last no, day and a half? Other than Doug Peterson really likes ice cream. And yeah. uh, it was his birthday yesterday, his 50th birthday. And, of course, we wrote about it and had the video the Eagles put out of him breaking every meeting with ice cream that he gives the team afterwards. Uh, just a little peek behind the curtain that I thought was pretty cool. And it also revealed, you know, why this team just loves playing for him. I mean, mm -hmm. these guys, you did a great job this morning. Um, talking to players about why they love Doug Peterson and why the locker room is as tight as it is. Yeah. And I think that's just it because he has that personality that relates to the players. There's a reward system that's been in place ever since training camp when it comes to, you know, if you make a play a certain way, we'll end practice 10 minutes early. Uh, you pay attention in team meetings, you win the game, you get ice cream. I just think that the way that he's bonded with this team is one of the underrated storylines of why the Eagles are here. Yeah, my main takeaway from the last day and a half, Someone needs to talk to Nick Foles about that beanie and those glasses look that he does <laughs> together. I mean, that thing is brutal. People were making fun of, Do of uh, Tom Brady yesterday because he had on a, a black beanie and a glove. It wasn't a beanie. It was like a knit hat and a glove. And people on Eagles Twitter were making fun of him. But I wouldn't throw stones because Nick Foles looks foolish up there on that podium with the beanie and the glasses. A little bit. That is not a franchise swag look there. Um, well, you're the king of franchise that's swag. What, that's uh, what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I'm, the, I, I'm the official uh, ruler maybe, of that. Maybe I'll give him my cool hat. I got that cool uh, yeah, 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 that's hat right. that Honey Jones almost walked yeah, off with. Our man Matt got a free hat today on Radio Row. So, uh, all right, so let's get into these interviews. Um, and then after them, we'll uh, be back to talk about what we thought of them. So here, here they are. We have Emmanuel Acho, Nigel Bradham, um, an update on what tickets are costing. And then uh, also, God, I keep forgetting. Dahani Jones. Dahani Jones. Who wanted my hat. Yeah, who wanted your hat, right. All right, here we go. All right, we're here with former Eagles linebacker Dahani Jones out promoting Bank of America on Super Bowl week. Dahani, thanks for dropping by the No Huddle Show. No, I appreciate you having me. All right, so longtime Eagle fans obviously remember you for two things, the bow tie and the air guitar. So take me through the genesis of the uh, air guitar celebration after a sack. Oh, come on. I mean, we're – we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Who's one of the greatest guitarists of all time? Prince. Prince. There it is. You know, like when I was growing up, um, Prince, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton. I mean, there's so many people that have been some of the best guitarists that I've ever listened to. And I was always looking around, and people always had their thing where they got up. And, you know, Jeremiah Trotter had, had the axe. Yep. Um, you know, there's so many – trying to think about like oh freddie mitchell back in the day had the, the belt, belt yep right that was before aaron Rodgers did the discount right um and i was thinking to myself fred like, actually get uh, some royalties off of that uh that think, commercial I, right i think so <laughs> um and i was thinking to myself what would resonate more with who i am and how i play the game and anytime i ever played i was always i would always think about a song in my head 
to get into the rhythm. Nice. You know, playing football, you kind of find that rhythm, you find that song, and I was thinking about Prince, I was always thinking about Jimi Hendrix, and so the guitar became my celebration. Was it always the same song, or did you have a different song no, every different game, whatever the, whatever the mood was? Yeah, whatever the mood was, but, uh, you know, I, ho hopefully it would always be at the very end that, you know, Purple Rain would come on there in my go. head, and fourth quarter we win in the game, and then I'd just be able to walk off the field, and i feel good about it. You get that key sack, and you strum exactly. the guitar a little bit. So what's this uh, week like for a player? This isn't your normal football week, right? I mean, you have Radio Row, you have Media Night, you have all the distractions of a potential Super Bowl. What, what is that – what's this week like for somebody, um, you know, who's never going to be in an NFL locker room, never going to play in a Super Bowl? From a player's perspective, what's this week like? Oh, it's completely different than any other week that even a player has been a part of. Right, because we're all locked into a schedule. We yeah. all know about what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We know that we have a day off between Monday and Tuesday. And I think it's mandated now Monday, um, or maybe it's Tuesday. I can't remember. It, it switches back and forth. And then Wednesday you start going into your normal routine, and Thursday and the same thing. And you wake up at 8 o'clock, and you get done with practice at 4 o'clock. But at the Super Bowl, you get pulled in different Different, uh, different directions. Yep. You might have to go to this appearance, this appearance. You might have to go to that dinner and meet up with that friend. You might have to sell this ticket, or you know, you know, and find this person. And, and you might have to to go to, you know, uh, Terrell Davis was talking about when he was in the Super Bowl, and it was in San Diego. He had to go to his high school Hall of Fame where they retired his jersey. So the schedules are a lot different, and they're not traditional to what they are during the regular season. And so. It's uh, it's tough because you have to be able to be keyed into what and the reason you're here, and that's to play into the, play the Super Bowl and to win the Super Bowl. And coming from somebody who played for the Eagles, Eagles fans were a different breed. So you're probably carrying the weight of that as you come into a oh, Super yeah. Bowl as well. Oh, you're, you're you're carrying the weight of everybody that is is rooting for you, and you're carrying the weight of all your friends and family that are wanting to be there to support you. And oftentimes it does become overwhelming. And once you even get through the week, Super Bowl Sunday, that's completely different. It's, it's not a normal game. You have, you know, you're sitting around the hotel. You don't get to the game. To, the game doesn't kick off until oh, 6.30. The game's you not have, even the same time. Right. The halftime's not even the same time. I mean, the timeouts are not even the same second, time. Because, I mean, I remember back in Super Bowl 39, there was a big deal that was made about how you guys kind of lost your juice during that halftime. You came out a little bit sluggish after, you know, the start of the second half. And the Patriots had been there before, so they were used to it. Um what was that like? What was that halftime like in that locker room? It was long. I mean, I, I, I remember coming off on, onto the field and just wondering how come they hadn't cleared the field. Right. And I was wondering how come, you know, we're, we weren't going right into warm-ups. I was wondering how come the game wasn't about to start. And those things start to creep into your head as a player. Those start to be the things that you're thinking about versus what's the next play or how you prepare or, you know, what might occur and I think that the, the Patriots are really good at um, managing their time and that's going to be the one of the, the primary reasons why one team is going to be more successful than the next is who manages their time on Sunday. And uh, Doug Peterson had the Eagles simulate that yesterday and they stopped practice for a half hour and they went into the locker room for a half hour. Is that the right move? You know I, I, I'm more of a type of person when I look into practice just do your practice the same way. Right. Right, uh, I think that as a professional, you know what someone tells you. If you don't know, that's when it becomes more difficult, right? And I remember playing the Super Bowl 13 years ago uh, against the Patriots, and um, no one told me. 
And so I went on the field and I was amped up, and then I had 10 more minutes. Paul McCartney, it's, another great guitarist and, uh, and, and musician at halftime there, too. Did you get to sneak out and watch him? Or? No, I didn't, I didn't get to watch anybody. <laughs> but, you know, you just have that, you have that one moment when you're just kind of like waiting, and you're kind of sitting there thinking to yourself, can we go? But if someone would have told me, just wait for an extra five minutes, yeah. add an extra two minutes, then that helps. I mean, I, I guess it's good to be able to practice that, but I think knowing just, just the same amount. Wow, it's interesting how it had that sort of an impact. That if you just would have had that in your mind, you could have prepared All I need better. to tell me, I have an extra 30 seconds. Sure, sure. Because anybody will take a, a little bit longer of a break and know how to manage that time. It's about having the information. Do you believe in Spygate? Do you believe? Do you buy into all that? You know what? Um, what's amazing is with, with Spygate, what people still think that same way nowadays with, now that the iPhone is out. Yeah. Right? Right. In 2005... There was no iPhone. Right. Right? iPhone didn't come out to 2007. Just think about the amount of information that's shared between different apps and different photographs and different videos right now and how everybody has all this information. Would, would it be the same? I think it's a moot point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are the similarities, just as a fan, watching this team to maybe the team that you played on back in 04? No, watching the Patriots, I don't think that they've changed that much. They yeah. just have evolved. Um their strategy and they've gotten better at evolving against other teams. Right. Right. They, they have a, and I was, I remember watching some of the playoff games, you know, pages down by what is it, by 17 and they just methodically find their way back. They know what you're going to do. So they adjust. Most teams don't know how to adjust. And that's going to be the uh, biggest determining factor whether the Eagles can be able to do that going into halftime. How do you beat Brady? I mean, everybody talks about how good he is against the blitz, so you don't blitz him. Everybody talks about how accurate he is, so you have to be tight in your coverage. I mean, the Eagles generate a lot of pressure with their front four. I is that enough? I mean, what do the Eagles need to do to beat Brady on Sunday? Well, I, I think it's all of that. Yeah. I think, number one, you have to do is you have to be able to adjust to the things that he um, adjusts to himself, right? Sure. Evolve your game. And don't let him evolve faster than you. Right. Right? And and then that will take care of the blitzing. That will take care of the underneath coverage. That'll take care of anything else that happens in the defensive backfield that you know that um, would prevent him from scoring more touchdowns. How do you see this thing playing out on Sunday? You know, I, I think it's gonna be a game that go into halftime, the Eagles are gonna be up and then the third quarter is gonna be really the point at which either the Eagles are gonna strike first and score first or the Patriots. And if the Patriots do with the momentum, then they'll continue that into the fourth quarter. But I'm hoping that the Eagles continue that momentum and win the game. What's your pick? I'm going with the, I'm going with the Eagles. There you go. 27-24. Uh, you're one point off my score. I had the Eagles winning 27-23. It should be a fun Sunday. All right, let's pay the bills. What do you got for Bank of America? Well, I think one of the most important things, especially around Super Bowl, is paying those debts because you come down here and um, you might have some IOUs because you go out to eat and you want to split those bills. So Bank of America mobile banking app featuring Zelle allows you to do that in a safe and secure way. I use way. the Bank of America app myself. It's a great app, great way to handle all your transactions. Exactly. So, so go to bankofamerica.com slash Zelle. Dahani, appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of Super Bowl All week. right, thank you. Yep. All right, we are here with Cameron Papp from StubHub. And Cameron, I could only imagine how busy this week has been for you at StubHub. 
Yeah, it's our biggest week of the year, every year. Super Bowl is our most popular event by far on yeah. StubHub, and this year is no exception. So how does this ticket compare to years past? I mean, obviously you have two huge fan bases. You have the Eagles, who are obviously extremely passionate, and the Patriots, who are here every year, but are still one of the bigger fan bases. What kind of traffic have you guys seen? Well, the cheapest ticket price available on StubHub right now is going for around $3,200. Wow, and where does that get you? Uh, that's going to be an upper-end okay. ticket. So the average of what people are spending is just under $5,000. So that's wow. going to get you closer to the field. So what if you want to be, like, you know, right down on the field, 50-yard line, lower level? What are you looking at there? You're going to go anywhere from six to $8,000. Yeah. Is that more than normal? or? It is. It's more of a premium price this year for sure. Um, demand and sales are up year over year comparatively, and I think uh, that's been driven by the two markets involved, particularly the Eagles market, at least initially. Mm -hmm. after the NFC uh, championship game. A lot of Eagles fans flooded the market on StubHub. Do you think that there's any kind of fatigue from Patriots fans? I mean, this is now the eighth one they've been to with Brady. They were there last year. It's in Minnesota, which no offense to beautiful people in Minnesota. It's not the, you know, the best travel destination. Are you, do you think that plays a factor? Yeah, there's certainly some fatigue for New England fans. It's not as much of a novelty as it is for yeah. someone like the Eagles who haven't been to Super Bowl you know, in over 10 years. So. We certainly see that. We've seen it in other sports as well when teams are always successful and they seem to make it every year. That being said, you know, it's still they're still in the middle or maybe the end of their dynasty is still Belichick Brady. So I think fans are thinking to themselves, you know, is this going to be the last time? Maybe not. We'll see. So, so uh, I don't know how closely you follow the Eagles throughout the year, but uh, – they're, they're known for taking over stadiums. I mean, they took over the, the StubHub Center, actually, in L.A. earlier this season. Uh, they always take over Washington. Uh, they really showed up against the Rams. So everyone's kind of wondering, will this be a home game for the Eagles? What have you seen so far in terms of your traffic from where tickets are being bought? The traffic comparison for uh, the Super Bowl on StubHub is around 14% from the Pennsylvania market compared to 10 to 11% for Massachusetts. So where does most, is, and then the rest is just all over? Or? Yeah, it's going to be local fans. Um, California actually is up there, and, and you know, to your point, I, I was thinking, I don't know if that has to do with the East Coast transplants, or yeah. it's obviously a large state as well, so that could be playing a factor. Yeah, so, so so far you would say more Eagles fans have purchased tickets on StubHub than Patriots fans, but it doesn't sound like it's by much. It's not a ton right now. Um, and actually, you know, Massachusetts has been catching up a little. Okay. Uh, initially after the AFC-NFC championship games, Eagles fans definitely flooded the market. But, yeah, we're Thursday out right now, about three days out, and so far uh, Eagles have an advantage. How many uh, tickets do you guys get? I mean, obviously there's only – how many seats is in the stadium? Like 60,000 probably? Yeah, it's just six, over 66, I think. Over 66. Yeah. So how many tickets does StubHub get their hands on in terms of selling? I mean – Well, there's about 3,000 tickets available right now. Obviously okay. they're going to sell throughout the week. So right. I would say, you know, on a, on a really good day for a Super Bowl, it'll be about 10 to 15% of the stadium will use StubHub. Okay, wow. So it sounds like you're saying right now Eagles – trending towards the Patriots, but what's your prediction here? I mean, you know, basically we have now three days to go till the game. Do you see more ticket sales later in the week right before the game, or at this point, if, if, you've, not, if you've not purchased a ticket, you're probably not going to? We definitely see people wait until the last second to buy okay. tickets. People will come here before they even have tickets here in Minneapolis, and uh, they'll pay attention to the market until the day of. Um, that being said, the highest sales day is the day after AFC NFC championship game right. but there are also people that are looking to play the market so if you um, you know see our app or just keep watching online at the prices mm -hmm. and see a price that 
makes sense to you. You can wait all the way up until game time if you want. All right, so what's your final prediction? Well, I'll ask you your game prediction too, but what's your final prediction just in terms of is this going to be an Eagles home game, a Patriots home game, or are we looking at a 50-50 split here? It's going to be in favor of the Eagles, I would say. Um, you know, even though the Massachusetts market has caught up a bit, I don't think they're going to make that much of a move um, as we get to game time. So I, I certainly think they're to be in right. favor for Pennsylvania. So are you an Eagles fan or – I'm a Bengals fan. I'm originally oh, from man. Cincinnati, so you, so you unfortunately. About, yeah. So, yeah, we don't know anything about Super Bowl, <laughs> so this is all that. new to us. Yeah. So who's you, who are you picking? Uh, I have the Eagles to cover like the six-point spread. I don't think Eagles fans are going to like the confidence <laughs> in, that, uh, in that statement. But, uh, all right, Cameron, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, we are here with Manuel Acho, obviously a former Eagles player. Um, one of the fan favorites was when he was here because – you always interacted with the fans on social media. You still do, for better or worse. I know they love uh, they love tweeting at you, and uh, you, you you definitely give it right back to them. All day, man. That's, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts about Philly were the fans, how passionate they were. And just all around, like, that city has so much energy. I got to love staying a part of it, interacting with it. They really helped make me who I am, helped yeah. get me to where I am. Can't what, do without him. What's your favorite memory of being in Philly? Because we talked to a lot of former players, but, I mean, just the smile you have on your face now, you can really tell you loved your time here. Man, in all honesty, it's the, it's the nucleus of that team. When yeah. you talk about guys like Malcolm Jenkins, uh, some of the guys like now Jordan Hicks, Chris Marigos, Trey Burton, Zach Ertz, I've seen those dudes every day since I've been here. Uh -huh. Mind you, some of them have Super Bowls to prepare for. Some are hurt, but, like, we went to dinner two nights ago, went to dinner last night, like, that's real family. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's more than the X's and O's. It's more than trying to win the shiny trophy. You're talking about dudes that, like, will be in each other's weddings, have been in each other's weddings. Like, real life family, man. Right. And family is a word that I hear a lot when a players talk about this team. Like, uh, you're still around the team a fair amount. I know you follow them during the season. But, like, the defensive backs are really close. The receivers are really close. The quarterbacks last night in Minnesota went out together. What do you think it is about that locker room with those guys that make them so close? I think they've been through a lot. I mean, when you talk about typically there's 37, I believe, percent roster turnover from year to year, but I haven't been on the team in two years. Right. And I know and I'm close with got to be over 50% of yeah. the roster. So they've just been through a lot. Coaching changes, head coaching changes, coordinator changes, winning seasons, desperately bad or, or definitively bad losing seasons. Right. So they've just they've been through a lot together, and now they're at the pinnacle of it all. They know how much it means. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm excited talking about yeah. it, dude. So, I mean, now the Eagles have a great locker room culture, but you were one of the former Eagles here that played under Chip Kelly. And it's been two years, and, I mean, I've covered the team for five years, and I was a Chip guy, to be honest, but when they fired him, I think it's safe to say the franchise was in a critical point. So can you talk about what it was like under Chip Kelly when you were there? So here's the craziest thing. The, the most shocking thing, if you look at the Eagles roster in the Super Bowl now, I refuse to believe that on paper it is more talented than the Eagles roster event. It's a lot of the same roster, as I mean, you said. Think yeah. of, let's talk about the offensive line. You still had, you had J.P., Evan Mathis, still had Kelsey, a Kelsey that was, he's still great, but like right. in his prime even then, Todd Harriman's, and you had a young Lane Johnson. Yeah. You still had Nick Foles at quarterback, 27 touchdowns, two pick Nick Foles, had Shady at running back. So like the Deshaun talent, Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin. I didn't want to lame the receivers, but right. D-Jack, J-Mac, a younger Selick, a young Zach Ertz, like, mm -hmm. you have the talent, but for some reason, this team's finding a way to get it done. I think Chip was a, a freak offensive football mind. Yeah. But at the end of the day, 
Chip just didn't have as much experience as a manager of people and a manager of players. He didn't have to do that in college. So too much responsibility, that, which kind of probably exceeded his elite skill set. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you talk about Chip Kelly, the head coach, he, Chip Kelly is an X's and O's guy, one of the best, probably will go down as one of the best in football history. So what was the locker room like, though? I mean, because now, I mean, like you said, you still talk to the guys today. I'm in there every day. That is an extremely tight-knit group. I thought a little too much was made of the fact of how unhappy players were under Chip, but you were there. So, I mean, what do you th – all right, you're giving it a look as if not too much was Man, made. <laughs> Maybe I, no, not enough think, was made out of it. I don't think – there were a lot of unhappy players. Okay. But, I mean, it's But why NFL. do you think that is, just out of curiosity? Man, here's the problem, right? Uh, one of my coaches, Will Muschamp, current head coach of South Carolina, he told me when he was my coach at Texas, he said the fun is in winning. Yeah. Right? So if you're playing the most snaps on defense, which Malcolm Jenkins were and a lot of those players were under Chip Kelly because of that fast-paced offense, but you're losing games, dude, and then you got to go practice and full speed, full pads, and you losing games, like, it's just too taxing. Yeah. And so we did some stuff that was so very taxing without results, ultimately. And, and a lot of stuff we did with some explanation, but it just didn't make all the sense in the world. So yeah. that that ultimately was, was a lot of the problem. And I think that's what I saw, too, because when Chip first got there in 2013, you know, wins the division, you guys are in the playoffs, people seemed happy. But by the end, I agree, 7-9. and nine, I mean, you know, it, there were some players that were definitely unhappy. And, and then yeah. think about the turnover. Think about, like, the uh, – Think about the roster turnover. Like, yeah. it was – I mean, Chip, was, people were shaking and getting cut and freaking yeah. every other day. You know, there seems like there's a lot more stability. Chip, you just – dude, you had to fear for your job every second. It just – yeah, it was tough, man. Now, mind you, again, it is the NFL. Like, that happens. People, There's a lot of turnover. But there was just something different about that culture versus – And that. the way you talk about it is just so different from the, the way players talk about Doug Peterson. Because as you said, yes, it is real in the NFL. I mean, there's probably only 15, 20 players on the Eagles that can go to bed every night secure that they have a job, just contractually and stuff. But players talk about Doug. You don't, you don't hear words like fear. You hear words like family and how close they are with him. What have you heard from the guys on the team about how, how they feel about Doug Peterson? I haven't heard, like, nobody has a bad thing to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously, he's a head coach. There, there, there have to be some disgruntled people at some point in time. But um, I haven't heard one bad thing uh, about the head man in Doug Peterson. I hadn't got to meet him personally. I know a lot of the, the people on his staff. Right. But, I mean, he finds a way of bringing the best out of his players, and you don't have to be in the locker room to see that. If you know the game of football, you study the game of football, if you've ever played the game at a high level, just see, like, what he gets out of his players, man. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah. So let's talk about this game. Um, Eagles fans are obviously excited about this one. I think they feel confident, to be honest, even though you're going against probably the best head coach of all time and the best quarterback of all time. How do you see this game? I mean, when you found out this was a matchup, what were some of your initial thoughts? The Eagles have the better team. Uh -huh. The Patriots have Tom Brady. Yeah. That's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, if you look top to bottom – the Eagles have the better, probably the better roster, especially if you look at the one and two deep. Um, but the Patriots have that man, Tom Brady. They have Bill Belichick. They have all the coaches and coordinators around him. I mean, dude, like, it, here's the tough part. I would never bet against Tom Brady in my life. It's two things you don't do. You don't bet against Tom Brady. You don't bet against Alabama. <laughs> but I, I, how can you bet against the Eagles right now? Because everybody else has, and you see what happens. Didn't think they beat the Falcons. Yeah. Didn't think they beat the Vikings. Yes, this whole underdog thing is probably starting to get overplayed. Somebody has to be the underdog in a football game where there's a winner and a loser. But, like, 
You'd be a fool to bet against them right now, man. I'm telling you, especially that group of guys. And that's kind of where I come across. That's kind of where I fall on it. Even though, I mean, just from being around the team every day, yes, they have the better team, but there's just something about this team I can't put my finger on. They find a way to do it every week. I mean, they're and they are more talented. Uh, so, all right, it sounds like you're picking the Eagles, but what's your uh, official prediction right here? It's a really good question. So, <laughs> the game will be close because the Patriots, I don't see them getting blown out. And the Eagles have too much heart, especially yeah. I know I know for a fact defensively to let there be a blowout. So it'll be a close game. I like the Eagles ultimately by three or four. Yeah. I think the defense will have to make an Atlanta Falcons type stand. You know, last series of the game, you know, 25% of football games divided by four points or less. This will be no difference. Give me the Eagles by four. Man, if they're on the one-yard line with Tom Brady having the ball, I can only imagine the people in Philadelphia. The city will burn. I hope it's not the one way or the other, it'll burn. It's a QB sneak. It's Fletcher Cox versus Brady, dude. Yeah, the, the city will burn. But, hey, thank you so much for uh, coming on. And to everyone that doesn't already, you should definitely follow Emmanuel on Twitter. I know you're here with ESPN now, so you're killing it in the media game. And uh, thanks again. For sure. So we're here at the Super Bowl with Eagles linebacker Nigel Bradham. Nigel, your first playoff experience, right? Your first two playoff games at the link, and now you're at the Super Bowl. What has this last month been like for you? It's been amazing, man. Uh, everything you can you can want as a player. Uh, obviously, for me, my first appearance here. Uh, trying to trying to my my goal is was like undefeated, man. We, that's what we want, um, and we've been taking that into the aspiration. Uh, we've been playing. Treating all our opponents as faceless opponents and really just making sure we are on cue to do what we're supposed to do. Uh, especially when we know what we're up against. Uh, we have to we have to play clean, sound football and uh, execute. Um, I think execution is going to be the, the main thing in this game. And Doug has talked a lot about making this preparation about you guys, not about the Patriots, not getting overwhelmed by the mystique. Has that worked? I mean, have you guys kind of, you know, taken that underdog mentality and taking all of your preparation just focused on on you and not kind of ignoring everything that you're going to be up against? Um, I'm, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I think it does something to your team when you just focus on you um, because at the end of the day, uh, you, you control everything as a team. Uh, we control everything. So when we go out there, uh, our preparation, uh, how focused we are, how well we execute, uh, that's all in our control. Um, so we take that into consideration. Like We feel like all that goes hand in hand. Uh, so we just try to focus on us, make sure we are the most prepared we can be. And, and and that take care of itself. And for you personally, Jim talked about what a great job you've done in terms of calling out the signals and kind of inheriting that role that Jordan had. Kind of called you one of the unsung heroes of the defense. When you hear your coach say that, what does that, what's it kind of mean to you? Um, it's great, man. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, I mean, Coach Swartz has, has been a, a whole, a whole tremendous level for me. As just ever since we met, we kind of jailed. and. Um, I mean, it's been a blessing, man. When you get coaches like that giving you great compliments, um, for me, just being able to make that transition uh, with no practice and no kind of preparation, uh, obviously was huge and huge for our defense. Um, trying to make sure I keep everything on the same pace so we we can continue to get to where we need to go. Has Jordan helped you out, or maybe when that first went down, did he give you any advice? You know, because you're, you're playing the will at that point, if I remember, right? And Sam. You're, you're playing the Sam, yeah. and, and you're still have the same responsibilities, but you're calling the defense. Did he give you any advice to kind of be able to do it seamlessly? Oh, yeah. Uh, and a lot had to do with my experience of being out there as well. Um, I mean, it's it's been hand-in-hand. -hand. Um, 
it's, it's kind of tough, man. You kind of got to be on all cue because for me, as the type of player that I, I was before I got the green dot, was um, I was real aggressive. Um, so it, that definitely took some of my aggressiveness away uh, because I have to communicate. Um, and I have to be on cue to get communication when they're trying to hurry up or anything like that. So uh, it took some of... Uh, some of the things that I do away, but also help me in some other areas. Too. I mean, and to help you too, you got the sack on uh, Matt Ryan in the first playoff game, yeah. and, and you've <laughs> kind of been flying to the ball lately, so it hasn't really, you know, diminished your game. No, it hasn't. Uh, it's not going to diminish it. Um, it's only going to make it better at the end of the day. Um, you got the coach in your ear. Uh, he's telling you the communication, uh, what we want to do, what we want to run, uh, and knowing what to expect uh, and how they want to attack us. I think it's, a, it's, it's another level of things, too, uh, knowing what what type of matchups they like to go to in certain situations. And real quick on that, I mean, you, you've played in the division with these guys before. You played against Brady before. What have you kind of told your teammates? What do you? What's kind of? What can you draw from that experience? Um, I mean, you. I see that smile. <laughs> <laughs> Can't give it away, man. Yeah. Um, but you, it's you got to be on cue with this guy, man. Uh, because obviously he's an accurate quarterback. Uh, tight coverage, you got to play tight coverage and you got to play through the play. Uh, because, I mean, you can be on somebody, he's going to throw it regardless because uh, he trusts his guys. Uh, so you have to play through the play uh, and, and get pressure on him, man. Uh, certain situations, I mean, he gets the ball out very quick. So you can't get frustrated. Uh, it's going to be times where we, we, we won't be able to attack him because he gets the ball out so quick. Um, so we, we can't get frustrated with that. We have to con- keep our composure, and I think that's going to be the main thing is just telling everybody to keep our composure no matter how frustrated you get at early. I mean, everybody obviously wants to put pressure on them, um, but you have to play, to play the game the right way. Nigel, appreciate it. Best of luck on Sunday. Thank you. Thanks, dude. All right, so thank to everyone that came on for that. Um, Let's talk about Chip versus Doug. I know everyone's going to say, oh, why are we talking about Chip Kelly? But I think if you're, if you're telling the story of this team, the quick turnaround, the way their locker room is, you have to talk about Chip Kelly. because I'm one, like the beat writer of this particular story. Yeah, well, I was going to say, me and you are like the perfect people to talk about this because yes. I've, I've made my uh, opinion pretty well known that I was pro-Chip. Um, wasn't super strong Doug at the beginning. And, you know, I think you were very pretty anti-Chip. So. It's not even that I was necessarily anti-Chip, but I just remember talking to people in Chip Kelly's final year, and I wrote it right before um, the Thanksgiving game against the Detroit Lions, that I, I had a source tell me that the, the, he, he lost the team. The team had quit on him. And, you know, we heard Emmanuel Acho today give us a peek behind the curtain, kind of confirming that story. And, you know, we wrote earlier this year how Doug Peterson has single-handedly in just two years, and really going into his second year, changed that culture. I mean, this is a yeah. completely different group. It's like a family. There's a real bond. And, and these guys love playing for Doug. So here's the thing. I think, all right, so I'm not going to disagree with you. Like, in two years' hindsight, and you're right. I mean, he did obviously have locker room issues. I think sometimes it's a little overblown. Like, not everyone hated Chip. But the difference is it's clear that under Doug, you can't find anyone to say something bad about Doug. Right. And – People genuinely love being in that building. And I think where the Eagles really had their disconnect was, yes, in the locker room. And I think when the leaders of your team, like a Malcolm Jenkins, especially a Jason Peters, don't like the head coach, that's an issue. Whereas these guys love Doug. But 
where really the disconnect was the top floor, where it was Howie, it was, you know, Smolinski, it was, and then, and then Chip, really, trying to all work together. And then and here was the issue. Chip made a power grab and won, and yep. then the reason that he was fired And honestly, was rightfully so, to win that power struggle. I mean, what had Howie done to that point, and Chip was coming off of two 10-win teams? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I mean, guess. 2020 is, per, you know, but I think at the time, no one really disagreed with the idea of letting Chip have more control and getting rid of Howie. No, I mean, I, I guess we'd have to. That would be an entire podcast. Someone will go, back will go through, through our it, timelines, but, I'm sure. Right, but I'm sure that you know we can look at what happened with Chip Kelly in San Francisco, and it was the same thing. He goes in and at his introductory press conference talks about how much he just wants to coach football and just wants to be a football coach. And not even halfway through his first season, he's trying to make a power play with Jed York. Right. That front office situation crumbles, and Chip Kelly's out the door. I mean, listen, I think that Chip Kelly's first year, especially that first game against the Redskins, was one of the more innovative coaching experiences. And, and Acho that said seen. that. I mean, yep. Acho said he was, you know, one of the best offensive minds he's been around. Yep. His elite talent, I thought that was a really good way to put it, his elite talent was coaching, and Chip had to do more than that. And, and, and I agree, but I think that the fact that he stopped evolving and he stopped – you know, defensive coordinators are just as smart at the NFL level as any head coach or any offensive yeah. coordinator, and I think Chip, mis you know, underestimated that. Um, I, I think he's going to do terrific in the Pac-12. I think that he knows that, was a that nice area. Nice little, uh, little backhanded compliment. Well, I, I just don't <laughs> think that. Well, I, I don't listen. I mean, he's coaching UCLA now, right? Yeah. I, I don't think that his temperament and his coaching style and his his locker room management fits in the NFL level, and we saw that happen in not one but two situations. And but landing at UCLA, he's recruited the, the Pacific Northwest before in Oregon. They really don't play strong defense in the Pac-12. He has success at Oregon in the past, and UCLA is still a heritage program. So I think that going back to UCLA, and he has a really good quarterback out there right now, even losing Josh Rosen, Josh, Ro Josh Rosen, rather, I think right. that he's in a really good spot to hit the ground running in and the college And I, I think level. the whole Chip versus Doug thing is, an, is a perfect example of how perception matters so much at the beginning. So Chip comes in, and he's viewed as an elite head coach. Everyone's excited. He wins a division the first year. I mean, he was given opportunity after opportunity. Doug comes in. No one's excited about it. He's a boring head coach hire. Doesn't interview with any other teams. It almost feels like the Eagles got him because they couldn't get anyone else as opposed to really wanting him and getting him. And he's turned out to be a phenomenal head coach. So you really never know what's going to happen. But, look, when you talk about the, the team being here, I mean, think about this. Two years ago, Chip was the head coach. Yep. So that is just wild to think of how far they've come. They've come from not having a quarterback, not having a head coach, having a dysfunctional front office, having all types of the issues yep. to really – I mean, three people turning this around. Oh, yep. I guess Joe Douglas, too. But Joe Douglas, Howie, Howie, and Doug. Doug and, and Carson, yep. obviously. And, and, and you want to go read more about it, go to my pin tweet, at Matt Lombardo PHL. We wrote about that back in November, about yeah. how Doug has changed the culture. And this this two-week period and this, this this Super Bowl really is the payoff of that. Yeah. So, all right, the next thing we should talk about is Nigel, Nigel Bradham. Yep. So, look, we're looking ahead a little bit. We're going to have a lot of talk on Friday's podcast about the actual game. We'll do our preview pod. We'll do our predictions. But Nigel Bradham is the biggest free agent now that they've locked up Jernigan and Alshon. But the issue is, by locking up Jernigan and Alshon, he took a lot of money away from potentially signing, re-signing Nigel Bradham. And Nigel Bradham's a key player. I mean, this guy, obviously you get Jordan Hicks back, so you'll, your linebacker depth will be better next year. But you don't know what he's going to be coming off of that injury. And Nigel's a guy that stepped up and played really well. I think he's obviously the top priority, and he's a guy they really need to try to break the bank and sign. Yep. And the fact that Jim Schwartz is back, I think is going to increase our chances because had Schwartz gone somewhere, I think you would have seen Nigel go with yeah, him. And you heard Nigel talk about Jim Schwartz and how much he owes to him 
Uh, and he was one of the driving forces of why he signed with the Eagles in the first place. So I agree. I think the Eagles have set themselves up for a very quiet, very efficient offseason by locking up Alshon, locking up Jernigan early on, taking care of their top two priorities. But Nigel Bradham went from being the Sam linebacker in its own right to having to play Sam and call out the signals. Yeah. And he's played at a Pro Bowl level ever since um, Jordan Hicks went down. So I think that they'll – and that's probably move mountains to bring Nigel Bradham back. I think that's one of the reasons why Jason Kelsey likely won't be back. Brent Selleck likely whoa, won't whoa, be back. Whoa, whoa. I disagree Jason about Peters. Kelsey. Jason Peters. I misspoke. Oh, okay. There's, well, a lot, yeah. there's a lot going on we'll here. We'll debate that later. But I think it'll, yeah, you're right. I, I think I think Jason Peters might be back. But you're right. His cap situation is obviously one they have. They're going to gonna have to restructure or, or yeah. let him go if you're going to bring back Bradham. And I think that Halapulaviti Vitae has played at a high enough level where you, yeah, you'd no, be comfortable yeah. playing him over Jason Peters. But, I mean, listen, all it takes is one team to throw a, a bunch of money at Nigel Bradham, and he's gone, right? But yeah. I, I think that the Eagles need to do everything they can to lock him up. And the one thing where I think when we talk about their cap situation, what we might lose sight of a little bit is they have 20 of 22 starters projected for next year already under contract. So they don't need to go out and bring in a marquee free agent. They don't need to go out and bring in a big name. Just take care of who you have here, draft efficiently, and – you have Sidney Jones coming up through the ranks next year. You have but, rookies who didn't see the field a lot this year coming right. up through the ranks. So you don't need to go out and be a big spender and win the offseason like they've had to do in past so years the to only, be successful. The only thing I disagree with you on is what really has made this team special this year is the depth. And I think that when you when you lose guys like a Nigel, obviously he's a starter, but guys like Nigel, guys like Bo Allen, guys like Trey Burton. Well, that's what I'm saying. You won't lose. You make it a priority not to lose those Well, but guys I'm saying they're not going to have a lot of cap space. Yeah, no, you're right. You're not going to have to go out and chase guys this year, but I think it's going to be tough. I mean, they're projected to be over the cap right now. Yep. So it's going to be tough. But, look, I mean, it just underscores what we've talked about all week. This is a special team. There's a lot of reasons this team is special, both on and off the field. That's why they're in the Super Bowl, and they have the chance to cap this off as the best season in Eagles history. Yep. And, honestly, I would argue it might already be the best season in Eagles history. When you consider they've only been to the Super Bowl three or four times. I mean, I wasn't yep. around for some of the, the older the, you know, teams from a while ago. But I think um, – and I was thinking about this yesterday on the – frigid ride back from uh, the mall to our hotel is I think this might go down as more popular team than the 016ers. I mean, off the top of my head, I think 016ers, this year's Eagles, I think they're both more popular than the Phillies, even though the Phillies won the World Series. If they if they win, I think it does. But there was and, – and again, you might be right about this, but I just remember there was that special feeling about that Sixers team and people oh, like Oh, look, Carflags. Iverson is like my all-time favorite athlete. So yep. I agree with you. It's just the fact it's the Eagles. Yep, no, I agree. And if they win the game, I mean, this will be the most popular team in Philadelphia yeah. history for sure. So will they win the game? We will talk about that tomorrow on the Friday pod. We're going to have our preview pod. Still going to get some guests for you, but tomorrow you'll get a lot more of what, you know, you got during the season. Me and Matt talking about the game, position by position breakdown, and we'll make our final predictions. So. Yep. Everyone, make sure you subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, we really appreciate the listens. We really appreciate you guys giving us those thumbs up, all the reviews. Um, it's been a really fun week. Uh, it's been a lot of work. It's been cold. But I'll be a little sad tomorrow when, when it starts to come to an end. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And, Matt, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hope to tomorrow.